There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. Where in the world are you right now? For sake of geography, I always say that I'm just outside of Toronto. If you just keep traveling along the, all those great lakes, I live on uh, I live in a little town on Lake Erie. Has your golf season ended yet, or are you still able to get out? Uh, I, I made sure that I worked really late last night, um, so I could golf today. <laughs> it's like 20, 22 degrees here, so I went out and uh, went out and snuck nine holes in real quick, which was nice. Twenty two degrees centigrade. Yeah. So or what's Fahrenheit. that like? Uh, seventy degrees basically. It's like seven. It's windy, but oh, it's like right, seventy right, degrees. Yeah. All right, all right, yeah. Yeah. yeah no worries. I can convert for you guys. That's no problem. I'm awful with the conversion. Yeah, I'm like, awful. that sounds cold. <laughs> yeah, no, your golf season's cooked, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I got I a bunch of, because I'm always out on tour, I always joke with people, and like some, a couple of people will always be like, uh, no, I'm sorry, but we use uh, we use freedom units over here, so uh, we don't know what that means. <laughs> freedom units? Freedom, freedom units. units needs to yeah. stop. Yeah. I will That's never, bad. you will yeah, never hear me say I hate that. that. Yeah, we're I hate we're that. anti-freedom units. I was very confused here. the first time I heard yeah. it, and then I realized, okay, that's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> God damn. Have you ever heard anyone order freedom fries instead of french fries ne- never once in like, my life. No. It not not in jest <laughs> no. okay have you i heard it once and i almost left the establishment oh yeah i'm, I'm immediate exit it was middle school i'll never forget what? it wow. <laughs> yeah oh, Se- second grade <laughs> well ryan we're we're excited to to have you on the show because you are one of the the most highly sought after voices in in golf technology uh but today we're not going to talk about Hazels or ferals or lofter lie angles. We want to we want to talk to to Ryan, the the man, the human, the person, the the dad, the husband. I thought we were just going to fit everybody. We could do that too. <laughs> that comes later. We we got to pay extra for that. Yeah, yeah. that's bonus bonus. Yeah, that's for the Patreon only. <laughs> from from following you on social and and I uh, you know getting to randomly meet you at uh, at Riviera earlier this year. You are you're one of the the nicest people on social media, and and you you have this constant uh, um, vibe of of just wanting to help people from you know all of the the AMAs that you do, and you're just you're at, you're answering questions until late into the evening uh, from uh, your work at golf.com and and previous uh, places as well. You're you're just a, a bundle of of, uh, of of help and joy. Uh, is that is that because you're Canadian. Is that is that a Canadian thing of, of just being friendly and helpful? Uh, I would I would definitely say that I wasn't always this way, um, especially when it comes to the way that uh, my in, like the industry works. Basically, right? Like, I think a lot of people. Mm. Regard, I mean, not even just golf. I mean, like in, in any space, I think a lot of people are always very protective of what they know, right? And it. I think it takes some comfort to actually get to a level where like you feel confident in like sharing knowledge outside of, you know, a circle of people. But then you realize pretty quickly that what you're doing is you're just, you're just helping other people expand their own knowledge. You're helping people learn. You're giving, you're giving knowledge that might pass on from one person to the next. And if it's good information, that's going to help not just that person you're talking to, but other people down the line. And for me, as someone who like used to be, you know, especially from like a club building or fitting perspective and fitting stuff's out there all the time. But from a, just a knowledge base perspective, right. I always just thought to myself, like, you know, keep this to yourself. Cause you know, someone's in a way like going to come after you, right. Like that mentality of like, someone's going to take, take what you have. Mm. But in reality, like that's not the case at all. And I think the more you talk to people like that and I've taken, I feel like I've taken on more of, um, not a teaching role, but an educational role where that's, that's really important because 
when you, when you share that knowledge, it, it helps you. Cause you know what, you might get something from somebody else back that they weren't like feeling comfortable sharing with you. And at the end of the day, like you both win. So I think that's kind of where that mentality has come from. It feels particularly selfless in an industry like golf, where the barrier to entry is so high, particularly for beginners getting into the game for the first time who might not know anything about clubs or gear or equipment or balls or, you know, anything much less like how to hit a golf shot. Um, it feels like a much bigger sacrifice of your brain power to not gatekeep your secrets that you could theoretically profit off of by teaching people the ins and outs of what equipment to buy and and what equipment maybe works best for their game and things like that. Can you speak a little bit about that? Like the sort of the, the entry point for golf and where you think a good point is for people to get into gear. From my perspective, when I first started playing golf, like I had no interest in equipment because I was like, I need to learn how to do the thing first and then I'll figure out the right equipment. Like, where do you think that arc, that point on the arc is in somebody's golf trajectory where like equipment really starts to matter? I think even right from the start, it's actually helpful because it's just like if you were to put uh, the wrong pair, wrong size pair of running shoes onto somebody and go tell them to run a marathon or go sprint or something (laughs) like their performance is not going to be uh, the best that it could possibly be, even if they're just learning because you're not giving them the right equipment. And whether it be a junior starting with something that's that's actually lighter than versus just being like a cut down golf club that's very heavy and can cause a lot of um, basically negative swing issues down the line. Starting even just from like that basic point of like get something that at least works for you on a, on a very, very simple level. And then from there, I think for a lot of golfers, it really comes down to how far you want to go, right? Like you can, you can take all of this in. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of golfers at, um, in, at all skill levels, to be honest, basically go so far down a rabbit hole of like, this is why it's not working or this is why it's not working. And that can sometimes be paralysis by analysis. So there is this, like, I always say there's like this fine balancing point of that, but the starting point is, is should always be the point where you should like at least look at the best thing that's going to work for you and your budget. And budget is always a big one that I talk about all the time because yes, I have access to like all kinds of new equipment. Uh, in almost every case, I don't pay for the opportunity to use it and test it, which again, I realize is like a huge privilege for, for me as just a golf nerd in general. But I'm also someone who worked really hard and spent, I think probably $600 on my very first set of golf clubs that I ever bought. And i saved up money from my summer job and went to like the used golf store and and did that. So like, I don't, I want anybody who's in that position to feel like they're getting the best value. Cause I know that at the, you know, the birthplace of the internet, not that old, but I looked up what was like possible, what was available and tried to figure out what I was going to get the most value for my money when I went to the store and the people that were there are very helpful. And the people that are there now is the same store that I go to where I live a couple hours from almost about an hour from where I live now and, and they're the same people that are there, the same owners that are there. And it's an independent little used golf store. And I'm friends with those people. I know those people. And it's it's amazing to think that like they've created in their own sense, like having this place, a sense of community for golfers to come and learn and share and, and gain that knowledge. And I think as you go along the process of finding equipment and to break down those barriers, I want anybody who's going to spend their money on equipment to feel like whether you're spending like, look, I got, I mean, I know this is um, an audio medium, but like there's tons of clothes behind me. A lot of this stuff is used and it, I spent nothing on it, like very, very little amount of money on this at used stores or online or garage sales. But 
you know, I reason I know that I'm getting good value is because I'm, I'm aware of like what the stuff that I'm buying is. Right. So I want people to have that mm-hmm. same amount of knowledge. So they feel like if they go treasure hunting, it's like, look, I found this, this driver from 2003 that has the, like a really good shaft in it. That's going to work for me. And it was $25 at a garage sale. Right. Like I want people to have that same feeling that I have of discovery. And so I think that's why I like to share it. And I think regardless of when you start, just take basic knowledge and just keep building. I'm always learning every day. And I think if you just I feel like you have a, at least a base knowledge of like the thing you're getting into, it's going to help down the line and it can help your friends get into it as well. Where was that flashpoint for you, the spark that really got you hooked on golf equipment? It seems so niche, but like what was, was there like a, an emotional connection to a person or an institution or even a, a club that made your brain go that I want, I want to do that. I think the moment that I could, I can think of like the first time I wanted to work on golf clubs was when, um, I was probably, I was watching golf, either my, it was on in the house and you know, I was like 10, probably, well, I was probably like 13 or 14 years old and Phil, they were talking, I think they were talking to Phil after he had like, they talking about some up and down that he hit or something like that. And they're like, how'd you hit that shot? And he's like, well, you know, I have this grind and the leading edge of my wedge is like really sharp. And I thought, wait, you can like adjust golf equipment. And as a kid who like <laughs> rode a bike and, and skateboarded and like took anything that I could put like apart, just cause that's, I was, I'm, I'm still a very hands-on learner. So to, to get my hands into something and like work on it, it was like, whoa, 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 I can do this to golf clubs. Like they actually like come apart and can be like something that you can adjust. That was like, it's modular. This was this right, moment. Right, yeah. And the, I can remember like going into my basement, like my parents' basement and using a, a vice and like putting this wedge that I had and just like with a file, like not a grinding wheel, nothing like a file. I think I honestly probably spent an hour and a half just like turning the leading edge of this 60 degree Vokey wedge into a razor. Um, I realized that was not <laughs> what Phil probably meant. Uh, cause I completely ruined that golf club. Like it just dug, there was no more balance on this thing. Um, and I thought, okay, well at least I learned cause and effect, right? Like this is not working. Yeah, He's obviously yeah. explaining you made something a, you else. made a sickle. Oh yeah. This thing, it was <laughs> razor. It yeah. was not a good, yeah. I, I think, I, I think I used it for a little bit longer and then I just ended up finding another used wedge to like fill out that part of my golf bag because it was a disaster. But Pandora, that was the moment the where box. it's like, <laughs> no, no, that was it. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I, I was like, okay, well, obviously this made a difference. So how can we find the way that we can make positive change now? And that was, that was basically mm-hmm. it. What other areas of your life do you, do you tinker this much with? Oh, um, organizing, like I like organization. I don't know maybe that's just like a weird thing. Um, but for me it is, it is golf clubs. Like it is just like this weird thing when it comes to, to golf equipment. I'm not, I'm not overly obsessive about like cars. I like cars. Um, I'm someone who's like starting to get into watches, not expensive watches, but like just the idea of like what it means to like say modify something. And maybe it comes from, I think probably comes from my dad. Like, you know, so he wasn't, he was a machinist. So like if something broke around the house, he'd like try and fix it. He wouldn't just go out and immediately buy a new one. And I think for me that just like, why would I throw this out? Right. And no, don't get me wrong. I'm the first person mm-hmm. to throw out all kinds of stuff around my house. Like if it's sitting there and it's like not useful, it's getting tossed. But it's the idea that something can still be useful at some point. And maybe that's really what it is. Like I like building things. I like creating things, not maybe necessarily in like an artistic way, but that's mm-hmm. golf clubs is where it's at. I mean, like I said, I got a room, I got a shop here that 
someone's like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll pull a golf club apart. Why? I have no idea, <laughs> but we'll find out. It seems like there's this really interesting, like connection and communication with the past with anything vintage too. Right. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of vintage guitars. I love picking up an old guitar that was made in the sixties and, you know, playing it, seeing what it sounds like, but also thinking about who has played this guitar before? What songs did they play? What what did they sing along to as they were playing on this guitar? And there's something really similar with golf. You can have that same conversation with the past. Who hit this golf club before I did? What kind of shots did they like to play? Did they like hit a weird little flop shot with this with this toey high toe sixty degree <laughs> wedge? It also strikes me that you know of the like the vintage categories that one could be obsessed about: cars, guitars. Uh, watches golf clubs are like relatively affordable despite them being in an industry that has a lot of money and has a lot of privilege golf clubs themselves are still like relatively accessible when you compare them to the thirty thousand dollar rolex watch Mm -hmm. or the twenty five thousand dollar fender stratocaster from 1950 it's like that's kind of an interesting entry point into old things that most of those other industries or categories like don't really have i think with golf people really devalue a lot of old stuff and yes there is there are valuable things that that kick around but most people who are getting into the game of golf see like an old wooden golf club or like an old like ping putter or something that's like rusted and they immediately just go oh it's old it's not useful anymore it's not helpful well there are like entire groups of people that like go out and want to play with this stuff and like to be very like you know recency bias in storytelling but uh, I dropped my daughter off at school the one day and it was, um, I was coming back through one of the suburbs, like one of the like subdivisions back to like where I live, just cause I don't know, I, I took a different route. I was probably listening to something and just wanted to take an extra two minutes to get home. And I drive by this, this house that's, that's uh, for sale. And there's a golf bag sitting out front with some other stuff like an umbrella and whatever. And there's a moving sign on the, on the house. And I thought, oh, okay, just completely drove past. And I was like, wait a second, don't do this. <laughs> Go back and look <laughs> like you, you never know. You really honestly never know what you're going to find because people, when they look yeah. at old stuff like that, they just kind of like get rid of it. So I thought about it. I literally like, I went through this probably in, in five seconds, I went through this entire argument in my head and I basically went like, turn around, go back, turn around, come back. And I find three Cleveland, like classic, uh, persimmon woods, a ping putter, an old Nike hybrid and an old Cleveland 900 wedge. And there was a set of irons there that was like um, probably like a knockoff set of golf clubs. And I just I just left those with the bag. But I thought, this is unbelievable. Someone just threw this out and it cost me nothing. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) you can find this stuff all the time. You can go to Value Village. You can go to uh, like thrift stores. Um, I think that that as as an entry point for a lot of people into to use stuff. I know to your point about guitars or um, watches like, yes, people go to thrift stores all the time because you never know what like someone might have thrown out or find. And you always hear these stories. But there was a time when I worked in a different industry and I traveled around as a sales rep. And trust me, I knew where every single thrift store was. Every time at my lunch, I'd go rummage through thrift stores for golf clubs. And I still have a set like two to pitching wedge of a, of a set that was probably used maybe a year, put away and then sat in a garage for 35 years old set of like uh, Walter wow. Hagen. Like it's a Wilson sub brand, but they were almost like new Ooh. and I could not believe it. And so, you know, five bucks a club later, for nine clubs, I was out of out the door with for fifty bucks with a set of golf clubs from this that Ben or uh, Ben Crenshaw played, basically. And it's 
if you know what you're looking for, even if you just don't know what you're looking for and you buy it for five bucks and take it home mm-hmm. and look up what it is, right? Like that's the treasure hunt, which I think is so fascinating and so much fun. And so many people don't assign value to it. And again, it's not expensive, mm. but to you as an individual or to people who are interested in it, there's a lot of value and a lot of fun that can be had just by having those things and even just trying them out because there is that connection to the past of, holy smokes, this club is hard to hit. Like, you know, <laughs> they were really good to hit these things and try and swing them as fast as they did at the time. Yeah, and, and it it does seem like people have that attitude that old things in golf, clubs, balls, bags, tees, whatever, are not valuable because there's still such a premium put on performance. Mm-hmm. My golf will suffer if I use this club from 1980. I won't be able to hit, I won't, I won't be able to pipe one 310 down mm-hmm. the middle mm-hmm. with this persimmon driver. Whereas like, yeah, again, with the with the car or the watch or the guitar, it's like performance is not really the point of it. It's like the art of the thing is the point of it and like appreciating where it came from, who built it, who used it before is the point of it. Would you argue that golfers should adopt more of that kind of mentality with clubs as well? Like forget the performance stuff, forget your fucking score, just like enjoy this thing that you found? That, that to me is like my favorite thing about the game of golf. And that is that there is no right or wrong way to enjoy it. Um, I think that's why I try, I try and keep an open mind about how different people like take and, and appreciate the game as long as they're, you know, respectful to the people that they're around and the environment that they're in. Like, I don't really care how you, how you play golf. You want to take a cart and, you know, drink a bunch of beer, have at it. Trust me, I've done it. It's fun. Um, if you want to carry around six golf clubs and have they be like blades and persimmon and go play some short old golf course in the middle of nowhere, have at it. Um, like there, there is no wrong way to play the game. And I think a lot of people do like focus on performance. And that is a part of the game that I think is, is important for high level amateurs or people that are just, um, you know, trying to look for personal best, but personal best doesn't have to mean hitting a certain distance. It can, I think personal best side of thing is like the self-satisfaction of what you get from what you're putting into it. Right. Um, and I, I, I can experience both sides of those things because, you know, I, I speed train and I have a modern driver and I, I work my tail off to try and hit it further and shoot lower scores. But there's also times when I'll go out with, you know, six golf clubs and, uh, you know, a wooden driver and just enjoy trying to hit a shot with that golf club. And that's the, that's the most interesting thing about it is like that old set of golf clubs I was talking about. They're weak lofted. They're short. Like I hit a five iron from 165 yards, but you know, from my, you know, I could go and use my eight iron from my modern set and do that. Right. Like it's yeah. like, what is the value out of both of those things to someone? It could be, I'm never, why do I want to hit a, a five iron when I can hit an eight iron? And that's fine. Enjoy it the way you want to, but you know, I can do that as well, but I also don't mind moving up a T deck or doing anything like that because the, the ability to be open to accepting whatever someone else wants to enjoy the game or how you want to enjoy the game to me, I think is what makes it so great. And as far as like old equipment or whatever it happens to be like, just, just enjoy it in like your own environment. And in that sense, like you can find community within all of those things, right? If you want to be a competitive golfer mm-hmm. or you want to be a competitive golfer with people that play with Hickory or people that play with persimmon, I've been to a number of events and they're, they're a blast. People are looking around at people's golf bags and, and like, that idea of like creating community can, can be within anything. Right. And I think within golf, almost all the time, it's, it's a positive thing, um, regardless of how you choose to, to enjoy the game, whether it be from performance perspective or just the self-satisfaction of hitting a great shot. What's your ideal round of golf? Does it include 
your your vintage clubs, your your finds, your your you know diamonds in the rough? Or are you because you put so much work into your game? Do you do you love just going out and shooting a low score? Like if you had on, on your birthday, you know, you're like you get a whole day. I get to play golf the way I want. What's that look like? I think for me, a lot of times it's uh, hopefully a good golf course if it can. Um, but just playing golf mm-hmm. with people that I enjoy playing the game with, and just having fun. A lot of times, I think again, people like don't get, again. If I'm in an environment where my goal is to shoot a low score, like that is my goal. But I would say 95% of the time, I'm going out to play golf. I'm going out to play golf and have fun. Um, and you know, I always ha- I have this conversation with my wife a lot. Um, I know. Connor, you already swore, so I'm going to take this up a notch. But anyways, um, <laughs> the idea of like, you know, we went out and played recently and she gets, she was like very nervous on the first tee and, and she's like, she plays a lot. She has like, she, we enjoy playing golf together and her mentality when she's out playing and having fun is like, oh, I don't want to hit a bad shot. Right. And I think now, and again, this sounds like really cocky, but it's just like the way that I'm, I, I approach the game is like, fuck it, watch this. <laughs> Like I could hit this terrible. <laughs> mm. I, there there was yeah. the result could be completely and utterly terrible, but I'm going to try and hit the shot. Right. And I think like yeah. the accepting of like whatever happens is going to happen to me. That is what I, I, I most of the time enjoy when I'm out playing golf because golf is 95% failure anyways. So, so that 5%, you mm. might as well enjoy that 5% when you get it. And so as far as like the ideal round of golf, it's like, it's having fun. It's in most, to your point, probably a mixed bag of gear um, when I'm just going out. But I, if I have my like once a week, nine hole league, man, I'm there to score my absolute best. Like I want to play really, really well. Yeah. Uh, but if rest of the time it's, it's a, it's a recreational pursuit. It's there to take my mind off other things in the world. And it could be, it could be anything from four golf clubs and a few golf balls in my pocket and a beer and, or, you know, mm. just messing around with it, just maybe trying two different golf clubs off different tees. Right. It's just it's whatever it happens to be that day. Yeah, we've talked about that before. The like, is this an opportunity? Is this is the situation, the challenge in front of you, one that you're approaching as an opportunity or as a fear? Like, is this a fear based decision or an optimistic uh, kind of situation that you're putting yourself in? And I think that applies very well to golf naturally on every shot, yeah. um, every decision that gets made. That's also I love that question, Bradford. Like, I and I I. Uh, I positioned to to use that moving forward yes. on this granted show is yeah what is what is your what is golf on your birthday look like who are you playing with what's the vibe how about golden eras for golf equipment for you Ryan what are what's like a uh, a decade or even a, a a vintage of of golf equipment where you're like that was they nailed it with that the aesthetic the performance all of it I think it's it's probably because I fit in the age group of millennial at this point where like the nineties was awesome. <laughs> like nineties kids. Yeah, from like from like ninety-eight to like two thousand and eight, it was this like <clears throat> insane amount of change in the in the way the game was played. And yes, we went for a long time from just from wood to steel, and steel drivers was like a huge thing. And then you had titanium drivers. And it was right around that time that I got into golf and I got into like working golf retail as like one of my first jobs was, Oh man, this driver's 330 CCs. The next one's 400 CCs. Wait, the next one's 420 (laughs) CCs and it has movable weight. Now we've got 600 CCs. Oh wait, we're going back to 425, but it has an adjustable (laughs) hosel. Holy crap. It's all here. It's all right there. And that to me, was like, 
every single release was just blowing your mind with like what it could possibly be. And someone would show up to the golf course, one of the members or something where I worked and you hear like, Oh, there's Jim with his new toaster on a stick. Like that was just the way yes. people approached mm-hmm. equipment because it yeah. was new and it was crazy. Toaster. And you, the toaster on a stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like, that was the thing. Cause everything looked enormous when the biggest driver was 275 cc's. And mm-hmm. yeah. that to me was like that, that era of um, like six, the 600 series uh, Titleist irons, the original 600 series Titleist irons. And you had the Cleveland TA series and you had Mizuno blades and the Mizuno still makes great blades. Uh, there was just, there was mm-hmm. so much like really cool gear. I got tons of it behind me and underneath the bench <laughs> that this computer is sitting on right now. Um, because that was, the thing that again, as a kid and like ping, ping I threes, like, and that those things came out, like I wanted those so bad when I was 14 years old. Um, and I just bought like the set that I really wanted this summer. Finally, I found a used set that I was just like, screw it. I'm going to buy them for like 150 bucks. These would have been $1,400 when I was a kid, which was like so unattainable, like $1,400 felt like you could buy a car when I was like 15. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, that to the me, down payment on a house, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> just before inflation hit. Right. Um, but that, that to me was the era of like, everything was like crazy new and and, like expansive and just like blowing your mind with what was, was available. And I still Mm. love like looking back at like, I'll get on my launch monitor with uh, like a a 975D and be like, man, this thing, it's still good. And that's the, that's where like people, people get caught up. Like, look, Golf equipment companies are there to sell you golf equipment. Don't for a second think that they're not there to try and sell you golf equipment. But also they are spending a lot of money to help make the game easier, right? Mm -hmm. Both of those things Mm -hmm. can be true. true. But just because you have something from 2008 or 2000 or, you know, 2015 or whatever, doesn't mean that it's still not good. Yes, those things can be better and more forgiving. But I always use the analogy of like cars. Because like, I mean, again, I don't really like, I don't want to brag to everybody out there, but like I have a 2011 Toyota Venza. It's got 260,000 kilometers on it. It gets great gas mileage. Like I'm not upgrading it. Okay. The car's been paid off for years. Like, like, why would I change? (laughs) Why would I add another bill? (laughs) Of course, I'd like to change it, you know, and you know, if, if at some point there's some car company that wants to come along and be like, Ryan, you know, you, you, you drive that car so much, you know, you should drive one of our cars. I'll take it. But like in reality, like I'm not upgrading that car because it works and it's it's safe and it gets my family to and from where we want to go. And I kind of, I, I, I almost, I still like new golf equipment, but I still think of that when people are like curious or they ask me going back to the subject early about money, it's like, oh, I have this golf club from like, you know, 2016, like, or 2000, whatever, 23. So like 2018, like, should I really upgrade? I'm like, go, go to, go to a launch monitor, go spend a hundred dollars for a fitting and find out if you know, 15 extra yards are potentially worth for you $800. Now, if you're a high performance player and that's what you're looking for, it could be worth double that. You'd pay whatever it takes to get that, right? If you're looking for 35 more horsepower out of your car, some people will spend thousands of dollars to get that where other people are like, yeah. I'm fine. It gets like it, it, you know, it sounds fine. It's a good car. Point A to point B. Point A to point B, yeah. right? And so like, again, the way that you enjoy the game, the way you like participate in the game, is is how you want to like again look at equipment look at anything whatever it happens to be um because there's no there's no right or wrong but i think uh, as far as that idea of like money and ex- like looking at those like things that's how i look at it so 
Dude, I have so many questions for you. We we don't really talk to many like equipment people. Yeah, equipment heads. So I feel like yeah. we've, we've yeah, never. Yeah, so yeah we've so never so talked to an equipment person. We got we got some. That's not true. You talked to Trotty. I listen to the podcast. That's true. Okay. Fair. We did talk right. to Trotty. We did talk to Trotty. Not so much about. We wasn't very gear heavy. Yeah, that that one wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you could take one golf club to the grave, what's what's gonna what's like ending up in your coffin with you? People ask this all the time. I get this on Instagram all the time. Like, what is like the one no golf way? club you just sure. absolutely love? Not necessarily that I'm gonna die with. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know to think of that. Um, oh, that that's the difference. Yeah, no, 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 no. You get you get put in a sarcophagus. Oh, I get to bring it with like me. I get to bring it with me into the afterlife. You, you bring it to the <laughs> yes. next yeah. life. Yeah. It's, uh, my MP37 blades, my favorite golf club of all time. Um, Which one? It's one. one I only club. get one. Or oh, a singular, uh, uh, singular uh, club. A, f- uh, f- a five iron. Ooh, five iron. The five iron's Spicy. not quite a long iron. Okay. It's not quite a mid iron. It's kind of like this perfect balance of like I can really swing at it, or I can kind of like you know mm. you can fillet it a little bit and like kind of knock a shot off it. So I'll take that five iron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, cool. I'm obsessed with that um, question. Yeah, that's, that's actually a fire. That's a fire question. We got to bring that back. Um, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want you to um, uh, to to anger any of the relationships that you've hard won with uh, manufacturers over the years, over your 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 career. But I do want to give you the opportunity to air some laundry about the. How do I put this diplomatically? <laughs> the gimmick level that has escalated with golf club manufacturers naming conven- conventions and marketing of new golf clubs. Is it ridiculous or do you see a space for it? Rocket Ballsier, for example. You know, the the like the gamification of naming golf clubs. Is it ridiculous? Are are you a numbers and letters guy or are you like a brand? Do you appreciate a, well, a he ain't taking no storytelling? He ain't, he ain't taking no rocket balls into the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he ain't taking the uh, paradigm into the afterlife. Yeah. That, that would be a paradigm shift uh, for sure. Right, right. right take into the, <laughs> will Jesus know forgiveness? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think I think there's a space for both. I I really do. Um, you know, it's like there's there is something to like letters and numbers and like don't get me wrong like we internally all the time like we make jokes about like all kinds of stuff and we i mean i make them externally i mean if you follow me on instagram like if i can if i can get a pun in there with a with some type of a golf equipment name then i'm gonna do it like um it's it's i feel like it's so ingrained in like the way that i think about equipment that like i almost don't even think about it which is kind of silly but yeah that's that's a weird one because like Again, from a, do I think it's gone too far? I think like maybe misspelling names sometimes is kind of odd. Um, you know, like there's this big trend, like, and it's not just in golf, like it's in everything. Like, you know, we should just take vowels out of it. Right. Like, mm, like yeah. why, 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 yeah, why do yeah. we need vowels anymore? Everyone's just going to enunciate in short form words. And next thing you know, everything will just be an emoji. Right. Like what driver is this? It's a smiley face emoji. Right. Like it's just, I don't know, but, um, I do think it's. Could you imagine the TaylorMade next year comes out with like the yeah. winky face driver or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the here's the Cleveland Ferris wheel. Like what? Like what is it going to be? Right? Like you know, right. you, ne- you never know. Um, I think 
every company has their their way of like getting attention from people. And I think you you see the names really um, from a naming perspective, from a branding perspective. I've had people ask me like, if you could associate a, a brand with like a car company, that those are like ways to like think about it all the oh, time. I love that. Um, yeah. The one that I always like to think about is like Ping is Volvo. Like they're about oh, engineering. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. They're, they're always about engineering. They're about, you know, they talk about, Volvo talks about safety. Uh, this is not a Volvo commercial. Uh, but like Ping talk, like there's no safety in golf, yeah, yeah. Women, but there's like forgiveness, right? There's this level of like, what what's the end goal, right? The way you, you talk about things. And then it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, TaylorMade's a, what's this? Is it the Chevy, the Hellcat or like Dodge? Sorry, see people, car car people are going to get on the office. <laughs> but like, like you know, they're they're trying to show you everything that it's going to do to like create distance or something like that. Like there's just, there's different the ways that people, yeah, yeah, yeah. People approach things, right? So um, I think that, that to me is like where, I don't think, again, I know, I think things are named so odd now at this point that I'm just like, I'm completely over it. But I think what it does do, which is difficult, is it confuses the consumer at some point, right? Because there's, because there's mm-hmm. no number or letter associated with it. You don't know what year it came out. Um, and I think in some cases you see bright colors because it's planned obsolescence, right? Like, you know, that's, that's the goal. I mean, not of everything, like I, you can go out and find all kinds of stuff, but that's the, the, the world we live in at this point. So... Um, have you ever quit golf, Ryan? Yeah. Um, I definitely have. I've quit the industry. I, I at one point was just completely and utterly sick of it, um, many Mm. years ago. And there, there was definitely a time where, um, it's probably, they probably, I wouldn't say they, they coincided like close to the same amount of time, but like I, I worked in golf for a long time. I was always involved in golf and, whether it was the the environment that I worked in or just the fact that I had to commute a very long way and I had a, a, um, a young family, I was like, I feel like I'm just wasting my time doing this. And I just, uh, I was at the, t- at the time I was like, I had a side, I call it a you know, side hustle, whatever. Um, I really, lo- I always enjoyed like learning about different things. And so I was really getting into like learning about craft beer and uh, taking courses at night uh, to learn about it. So like, uh, for me, I became like a beer sommelier. That's a thing. Or like, I guess in the States, you guys call it like Cicerone. But the program here in Canada is like based off that, but it's called something else. It's someone else founded it or whatever. But like that was night school, taking the train into the city and like getting and learning about these things because I was just super curious wow. about it. And because of that, I would like work my, you know, call it nine to five at a, at a, at a golf facility. And then on the week, on the nights do that. Or then I would... Um, Work and then on weekends I was working at a craft brewery, doing tours, wow. just like working front of house, serving up beer to people, talking to people about it, showing them around. And at one point I was just like, I think I like this better. I just I think I just really really like this better. And because I have a great support system with with my wife and our family, like she was like, well, why don't you just do it? Like just do it. Like whatever, mm. right? And. I'd I probably said it for months that I wanted to do it. And then I finally did. And that was it. Like I did not work in golf for, for years. Uh, I was probably, probably almost two years I was out of golf. Um, and it wasn't that I, like, I still loved playing the game, but it was, there was just something about the commerce side of it that I was just like, 
I don't, I don't know like why, like I keep like putting myself like through this like cycle all the time. And I loved it. I love meeting. Sausage gets made. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, but I love the idea of, and maybe I think part of it too was like there was where the job that I did was not like connecting to people a lot. Like there wasn't a lot of communication with people. Mm -hmm. That's why I think I really like using like Instagram and social media as like outreach to people all the time. And being in a brewery, like people come to a brewery, they're happy. Like, first of all, like, don't get like, that's why they're there. They're there to have a good time. And then you get to, um, for me, like being a tour guide around a, a craft brewery, which was, I mean, fairly substantial space for what, like, uh, for like most craft breweries, but, um, being able to go around and like tell jokes and learn where people are from and why they're there. And, and if they're having fun or they're celebrating like that to me was like just this big rush every time I got to do that because it was new people all the time. And yeah. Eventually I started seeing this like kind of space where like things were not getting um, explained well to people. And so I started writing a little bit for a website for free, just doing it on the side. I was doing all kinds of like things. And then I started doing demo days because, you know, working at a crap doesn't pay that much. So I was like, my friend was looking for somebody who was knowledgeable, started doing demo days again. And then, you know, the, the fish hook was in, they just started, just started reeling me in and reeling me in and reeling me in and reeling me in. <laughs> and by the time I, I got to uh, about two years in, I was, working as a sales rep for the, for that crap at the time I was managing a territory. Um, that was like my full-time gig and kept me very busy. And a website reached out to me and they were like, do you want to write for us full-time? And I was like, I think I do. Like I, I, and I went and told my, my boss at the brewery and he said to me, which I think was really funny. He's like, I always felt the golf was going to get you back. Cause mm -hmm. like, you know, it's something that I talked about. It was, it was like something that I enjoyed doing. And, that to me was like the industry side of things. And since then it's, it's just been a, it's been a ride. It's been fun. I get to work with a lot of great people and do a lot of great things. Uh, but then from a golf perspective, I can think of a time where and I've told the story on Instagram as well, but I was out playing, lived very close to a public golf course right across from my house, uh, 36 hole facility, like over hundred years old, like just, it's a beat up muni, but it's a great muni and I loved it. Hmm. And uh, I was out playing one day, and I just, I got to like the third or fourth hole I walked cause I could just, I was a member, so I could just walk across and like find an open space late at night or whatever and walk around and play a few holes and walk home. And I was out there and I was, I was okay. I wasn't like playing particularly good or bad. And I just, just like, what am I doing here? Like what, like what there's, I, I find no purpose. I'm not enjoying like trying to hit a shot. I'm not trying to score. I'm not, I'm just going through the motions of like existing in at this moment. And wow. Interesting. I was like, I don't, I don't know what it is about like the, like this like thing that I'm doing, but I just don't want to be doing it. And I was like, okay. So I walked mm. like it was, I was, it's weird. And I, I, I almost described it as like, um, like a panic attack, like, like the world's calmest panic attack. And I don't, I don't mean that as like a way to like make fun of people that have like, um, mental health issues. Cause it, that's what it felt like. It literally felt like a, a big, um, like, huge amount of anxiety just like building up for like, I don't know why I can't even like think of like what it was, but it was like this blackout moment of like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be on this golf course. I don't want to be playing golf right now. And I just like went home and like put the golf clubs away. And I like told my wife and I was like, she said, weren't you playing like nine holes? And I said, no, I'm done. Um, and didn't really talk about it. It was just like this like thing that I internalized. And then, you know, a few weeks later I was like driving by the golf course. And I was like, Oh maybe I should go like out and play again. And I just, went over to the driving range and cause there was a shag your own balls driving range. It's one of the reasons why I love going there so much. And I just like hit a few wedges and go around the practice screen. And after like, I'd say almost not quite a month, but probably close to a month is when I started like actually going out and playing again. But like 
other than that, like other than winter time, when I like kind of a forced quit, that's the only time I can think of like, just like not loving whatever it was in that moment of like trying to accomplish something. I just felt no purpose. And so that, that was kind of one of the reasons why I just like, I can't do this right now. Hmm. Wow. That's a, that's like a, that's a, that's a real intense moment. Right. That on the face of it, I feel like could come across as quite trivial because we're talking about a game, but the, it's not. And also the parallels that it draws to just like life experience. You said right there, I don't want to be here anymore. That's fucking heavy, man. That's like, (laughs) that's no joke. And, um, yeah, describing it as like a, a a panic attack kind of moment sounds super real. That sounds yeah. like your body was being flooded with a lot of like just anxiety and um, the only way that it felt in the moment that you could shut that off was to just get out of that environment. Take the chopper. I, it was, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it was. It just it felt like I just needed to like stop. I don't. I think I hit it. I honestly think yeah. I if I remember correctly and maybe it's just like a you know a made-up memory but i felt like i just hit a shot off a tee and i was like i don't want to go get that yeah <laughs> it's just you just left it i just left like, i was like whatever what? like i'll i got lots of golf balls Ooh, like, i don't i don't whatever. care and um yeah it was this yeah it was just this odd thing where like i just didn't want to be doing that and i can't say that i've really ever experienced like that in my life before other than again like the decision to like maybe change careers or something like that was like, I've just kind of had enough of like what I wanted to do, but there was a buildup there. Um, mm. I don't know if it was, again, it was just like this space and time. I was just, I just couldn't be out on a golf course. And I was like, I don't see any purpose of what I'm doing. And um, I think a lot of people can feel that in, in a number of different things. And golf is unique in that it is such a, an individual pursuit. Like you can go out and have fun and play with your friends and, and enjoy those moments. But there's so much of it that is, you know, driving to the golf course, by yourself or going home from the golf course by yourself or just being on the the driving range and hitting a few shots and and being in that moment of just like trying to be better at something or at least, you know, warm up or whatever it happens to be, but like you're in your own space. And if you're not comfortable in that space, like you're not going to enjoy it. And I don't know, again, it was kind of one of those weird things, but I just, I didn't enjoy it. And I kind of gave it, I probably gave it up for about a month. But since then, and kind of before and after that, I mean, I've always loved the game. I love, as I said before, I love the way that you can enjoy it in so many different ways. Um, I brought this up. Um, I want to say you know, a couple of years ago, one of our early episodes, uh, the idea of burning the forest down to see what grows back. Yeah. Um, when you came back to golf after that month or so, what were those you know, remembering that I don't want to be here you hit that tee shot, you said, whatever, <laughs> like, I, I want to go home. Remembering those emotions, um, what came back to you when you stepped up on that next tee a month or so later? I, I think it was definitely a change of attitude of like, just enjoy being here. Like enjoy trying to hit that shot. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. It's kind of like I said earlier, the, the idea of like, watch this. And you're not doing it. You're not saying watch this to like other people. You're not outwardly expressing this idea of, like I'm cocky, I'm trying to do this thing, but like internally, the idea it's the it's the goal of saying like, look, like you're given this challenge, like take it as a challenge, take it as something that is going to be fun, um, because you're like I said, you're going to fail a lot in this game, and 
if if you know that's going to happen one way or the other, at least you can use it as a way to say like, oh, that was, you know, it was a funny moment. I like, you know, I hit it into the woods or I hit a tree or something like that. Um, it's just this, it's, it's that, it was that idea of like, just enjoy what you're doing right now because you never know if you're going to be able to do this forever. Right. So I think to me, mm-hmm. that was, that was really like, it was a weird stepping stone to be able to do that. So, and I think that was probably the biggest emotion was like, let's have fun, have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Sometimes you need that time away, you know, for, you know, some people like they're forced to not play golf for a month. Like, ah, you know, it's been a month since I played, I'm dying over here. Yeah. Um, that's another thing to actively take time away for yourself. So commend you for doing that. You know, like, a lot, a lot of it, you know, it's forced on us, but when you can recognize, you can listen to yourself, you trust yourself enough to say my body, my brain, my nervous system needs time away from this thing. That's a level of self-awareness that not a lot of people have. So good on you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, if there was like a message for other people that feel like that, I think it's, you know, and I've started, I started talking about this more like on my own, like social media, but it's like the idea of failure to me is like something that so many people are afraid of. And mm-hmm. like golf is a game where like, what's your biggest failure? Like you lose a golf ball, like whoop, like it's super low stakes. Yeah. It's, it's not life or death. And I think, you know, if you, if you can apply some of those things to, to your life in general, like just trying something because again, very lucky to have a support system that I, I do. And I acknowledge that, but you know, I think a lot of people, I, people ask me like, what, like, why are like, why are you like working at it? Why did you go to work at a crap brewery? Or like, why did you go do this? Or why did you like decide to like completely change what you're doing? It's like, cause if I, if I don't do it, I feel like there's a part of me that should have said like, you should have tried that. Right. And mm-hmm. like, you should really like put yourself out there. And I was, I mean, I was a shy, I was a pretty shy kid. Um, and I think probably when I got to like probably more towards the end of like high school, I was like, you know, there's no reason to like be afraid of anyone. Like they're, I mean, we're all equal here. Um, and as I've gotten older, like I feel that even more, like I want to embrace other people. I want to embrace other ideas. I want to like be open to the possibility of change. And that's where this, I, this whole like philosophy of like being open and being sharing to me is, is so important uh, because at the end of the day, we are all equal. We're all just out there trying to play play a game and have fun. And if you apply that idea of, you know, I lose a golf ball, so what, right? Like you can go buy mm-hmm. 24 Kirklands for 36 bucks. Like have at it. Like it, there's <laughs> just, that that to me is is like what you can enjoy with the game. And you can do it with your friends. You can do it by yourself. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I really like that. I love yeah, that. Pu- yeah, putting yourself in situations where you can fail gently mm-hmm. is great you hear you know you hear like comedians all the time saying like how do you get better you bomb mm-hmm. like you you do badly and you figure out what didn't work you try it again you get better same thing in golf like you you figure out ah oh, yeah that like i don't i don't have the the five yard butter cut in my bag today like it it's it's slicing um <laughs> but the stakes for that failure are super low um you also said something there that um talking about your your move to craft beer that I wanted to like pull on a little bit. You said that you knew if you didn't try it then you'd regret it. 
And I've been asking this question to a lot of people recently, and I wonder if you can sort of make a generalized statement about this. But over the course of your life, do you feel like um, with regards to regret, you have tended to regret things that you have done or things that you didn't do? Ooh. I think I would definitely say that I regretted things that I didn't do um, more than anything. Mm. Uh, because, look, I'm a, I'm a nearly 40-year-old man. I've done stupid things as a kid. I was like, um, I grew up in a town. I mean, I live now here in the same town, but like I grew up in a town where um, we live on a, on a like, we live on Lake Erie. And there'd be times when like, you know, you'd be out with your buddies really late at night. And it's like, let's go to the pier and jump off the pier at two o'clock in the morning. Is that really the smartest thing? No. But we knew we were being like relative, like in an environment of like being safe. There was no boats going by. There's lights like, you know, there's a ladder right there. We're not going to hit anything on the way down. Like, was it exciting at the time? Yes. Was it probably a little dumb and irresponsible? Yes. Um, But I don't regret it. (laughs) I don't regret it at all. (laughs) Um, And and that's where like, again, I can think of probably a couple years ago and um, damn it, you guys did it to me. Um, and I've talked about this before. Sorry, shoot. It's okay. But um, I was having a conversation with someone. Damn it. Okay, here we go. I was having a conversation with someone, and I was like, oh, man, I really want to go do like this. And it was actually for me, it was play the old chorus of St. Andrews and travel because like, it's not like I was in a position where like I had a lot of money, you have a house, you have a young family, you do all these things, and you want to do them. And someone said to me, like, how come you haven't done that before? And it made me like really mad. Like this person, like they had a lot of privilege, and like they didn't even like recognize that like that wasn't something that like you could do as like an option, right? And so like last year, well, actually beginning of this year, um, I was like, okay, like we did some money here. Like, screw it. Let's do it. Like, I'm going to do it. Like, I really, really want to do it. And I said to my wife, like, we got there and I'm like walking around the town. God, you guys, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, and she's like, you see it on TV, right? You see this thing that like you always want to see. Like, to me, it like it never existed in real life. And I can get like, I can get why kids go to Disney and they get so excited because it's like, holy crap, I see like the Magic Kingdom on TV all the time. Like this thing doesn't exist in real life. And like, you know, as a person, like as an adult, like somebody made this to evoke this emotion, right? Like this thing was created to evoke emotion from children and nostalgia and their parents. And yes, I understand marketing. I'm not an idiot. Like my background's in marketing. I talk about golf equipment. Um, But like this place was not designed for that, right? Like... I've always wanted to see it and like to like literally stand there and just be like, holy crap, I'm actually here. Like, I don't regret it at all. Like I can't take money with me when I die. So like that to me was like this big thing where it's like, I'm not going to regret the things that I do, but I'm definitely going to regret the things that I haven't done. So when you open yourself up to just be like, screw it. Like I'm going to go do it. I want to go try it. Yes. It's going to be uncomfortable. Yes. It's going to cost like in that case, cost a lot of money, but like things to try don't have to cost a lot of money. And 
like to bring it back, like one of the other things I really like doing is making pizza. And I still have this picture on my phone of like one of the first pizzas I made. And it looks disgusting. It's so <laughs> gross. It's dried out. Like we didn't, my wife and I didn't even eat it. It was like on this pan. And I was like, oh, this is just like, it's so gross. But I saved it. It's from, it's probably from like six or seven, eight years ago now. And like, I keep that picture. To remind myself that if you keep trying, you will get better at something. And, you know, 2020 came and everyone was like, let's buy pizza or let's learn to make bread. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to learn to make pizza. And that's where like mm-hmm. the idea of like, you know, buying a pizza oven and just trying it out. And like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, for at the point of that point, I was like, I'm going to spend the money and try to like do this and save some money or whatever. Um, but I'll never regret doing something where like I learned or even if I failed, um, but I'll I'll definitely regret the idea of like not doing something. So um, there you go. Oh <laughs> uh, man, thank you. Wow, Drew, I said don't man. make me cry. And you're like, God, now they're just gonna it's gonna happen at some point. I I told you we we'll get you. We always do. <sighs> um. Well, Ryan, we we, we really appreciate uh, you opening up, uh, letting the floodgates uh, open. That <laughs> is that is how we judge success of, of our show, and and uh, I know our listeners always appreciate that uh, that honesty, that that raw human connection to, to other people. Um, but we can we can keep it lighthearted here. We, we're gonna jump quickly into the the meat and potatoes, and uh, we'll dry up all those tears with uh, with laughter, hopefully very quickly. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, Ryan, you're playing at at, uh, at your your home course, and um, you're playing at a tournament, and uh, you get a walk up song. What is what is Ryan's walk up music that's gonna pump him up or uh, or settle the nerves before the first tee? Um, you know, I thought about this for a while. Um, I liked I listen to you guys. I I, I really like Shane Bacon's answer. Um, so he was just like, it was, it kind of like went back to like a memory for him. Mm. Um, but for me, like I think of song, like talking about emotions and all these things, like I can listen to my wife likes music and she likes music that has like this like heavy beat, like a slower, like heavy beat. She's like, I can get my tempo like right away on the golf course. He used to have these Oakley's with like the earbuds in them. Right. And she would like put those on and like play one oh. song to be like, Oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to rock it for tempo today. Um, but for me, it's, uh, it's actually, uh, Florence and the machine, uh, the dog days are over. Ooh. There's, there's something about yeah. like, oh, classic, just like the, because I've, I've had the chance to see her live, uh, like a number of years ago. And I don't know, maybe it's like an alt thing or I don't know. It's, I mean, it's pretty popular music, but, um, <laughs> for me, the idea of like this song that talks so much about, um, like, you know bad things are in the past and like, it's going to get better. Like I try and approach golf like that. Like, you know, you hit a bad shot, go find it and hit it again. Right. And yeah, I thought, I mean, I like all kinds of style of music and I I could, you know, I don't want to sit here and like be like, Oh, I don't like this or I don't like that or whatever. But like, there's so many options out there that I, I I do enjoy. Um, like I drove my kid to school today. I was like, Oh, can I play a nine inch nail song? Can I find a nine inch nail song? Like she can listen to. (laughs) And I kind of found one that she kind of like, that's a good beat. And like, I didn't like tell her (laughs) what it was. But, um, <laughs> it was, it was kind of like, like there's all kinds of genres of music, but for me, it's, it's definitely that song. Cause it, there's, it's just, it's ca- it's equally like emotionally, like overwhelming as a song to like, like mm-hmm. listen to it and like 
I've, I mean, I've listened to like live versions of that song and it's like amazing. Like you see all these people. And I think it's that idea of like togetherness and community where like if you're at an event or whatever it happens to be like, there's all these people like they're, they're doing one thing together and there's like this sense of feeling. Um, I feel like you get that from that song without even like, with like even being like alone in your car. Um, and mm-hmm. because of the message and just like the, the sound, like I just, that's like probably one of my favorite songs. That's one of those ones. It is. It really mm-hmm. is. It's a, that like their, their example, I think this, that song fits into the category of songs that feel like they were discovered, like not like, that's like a heavenly, that's, that song is like proof that God exists. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a it's, perfect it's song. Anthemic. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. First Florence. All right, let's say yeah. First Florence on the on the playlist. You'll get a link to the playlist after uh, after we get off here, Ryan. Um, okay, so Florence and the Machine, Dog Days Are Over comes on. You crush it. You go out and and kill the field. You win the tournament by a landslide. Landslide, another great uh, one Agreed. of those songs. Um, <laughs> they invite you back the next year, and you get to host a champions dinner in your honor. What's on your champions dinner menu? It's pizza. Pizza. Pizza's perfect food. Pizza. Pizza's the perfect food. It's pizza. Um, my wife jokes Pizza's all the love. time, like, what do you want for me at dinner? I'm like, I want pizza. Like, I, I feel like <laughs> yes. in many ways, like, you know, if you do have kids, like your kids kind of like gravitate towards the food and you're like, oh God, it's like, yeah, it's chicken nugget night again or something like that, right? In, in many ways, like, <laughs> That's true. That's true. I feel like a 12-year-old kid was like, oh dog. man, it's pizza night. Like, let's go have pizza. Um, I like making pizza, so that's like a big thing where I like, I love trying different mm-hmm. styles of pizza. Um, but yeah, I just like, you, you can pick it up, you can carry it around. It's a, it's a great thing. You can, I mean, literally I played golf today and after I played golf, I went and got a slice of pizza. Like it's just like, that was my, <laughs> that was like my day. afternoon. That's perfect so day. it was a great day. And then I walked and got some coffee. So, um, that, that was oh, like, that, that to me is the food it's, again. And if there was like, you know, if you had to have a starter or something, it has to be sushi. Um, and I'm sure that's a popular answer for a lot of people, but you know, pizza for me, I think, I don't know a lot of people who don't necessarily like pizza in general, but right. you can do so many things with it that it's not limiting to like what it is, right? It can be, it's almost like right. golf. It can be whatever it is to that certain person. You want a thin crust pizza? <laughs> go have thin crust pizza. You want a big, thick, doughy grandma style pizza? You go make a pan grandma pizza. Like you can do whatever you want with it and have fun with it like in all kinds of different ways. So yeah, here for it. it. Pizza yeah, we're, party. we're pizza pod. We're pulling sure. up to that dinner Ryan's, too. Ryan's pizza buffet. Right, What's your right. preferred style though? I need to know the preferred styles here. I like, turning the, this question I like around. mom and pop. I like mom and pop style thing, crispy. Yeah. I, I grew up in South Jersey, so I, I know a good slice of pizza. Oh, I'd yeah. need it thin and crispy. Yeah. I go New York slice uh, or uh, Detroit style, like focaccia bread. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. See, I can't that's, say one is better than the other because I've had them both. <laughs> like that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like any great. pizza, but Chicago deep dish because I don't even. That's like a that's like a casserole. It, that it's, doesn't. Yeah, it's soup. It, it doesn't qualify as pizza in my book, even though Chicagoans <laughs> would would argue with me. But Chicago, like Chicago style pizza, in my opinion, it's it's bad. I, I do not like it. But yeah. what was the pizza you get in in like school lunches? It was like shaped like a boat. Oh, like the like What's on it called? the bread. Yeah, we had Domino's at our school. You had a Domino's we, at your. We school? had Domino's like every, every once in a while too. But there's like it would it would it was like a like a boat. 
Yeah, it's like a I have no idea what you're talking. That must be a oh. that must be a you thing. It, oh, you gotta find you gotta dig yeah. up some photos. I have no idea what you're talking about. Boat pizza right now. Boat pizza. Shant- shanty pizza. <laughs> Yacht rock. Um let's go let's go sensorial here. Mm, yeah. Um Ryan, what are some of your favorite golf smells? Oh, this is a weird one. Um I I so I got two. Uh, um the first one so I, cutting a steel golf shaft. <laughs> if you don't have air, if you don't have Ooh. if you don't have ventilation, you know that smell right away. <laughs> It's like it hits your nostrils. It's like the burning steel. It's not that it's like overly hazardous. I'm sure if you did it for hours and hours, it's probably hazardous. But uh, there's there is a smell of like the the fi- like a, the blade that, the, that you use on a chop saw. I got one right over there behind me. You can't really see it, but um, there's a smell where like you uh, you know you're cutting. And, and for me, it's like I'm working. I'm working on a set of golf clubs. Cutting steel to me is like I, I know exactly what's going on. Um, but the other mm. one is, and this is like, I don't know, it's hard. It's so hard to describe. And I hope like it comes across as like the way I describe it. But you know, when like you play golf and the sun is setting, like you're, you're out mm. on the golf course. And I don't, I think it's more of like a, probably a parkland style thing than anything else. And it could be like a hot, humid day in the summer and the sun goes down and you know, it's, it's not quite a sunset yet. Like it's not dark you can still see your golf ball, but like it's kind of below the trees or the horizon, right? And there's this smell Golden like hair. permeates from the ground that like, I, I, that's like, it's my Sweet one of my favorite times to play golf. Smell. I'm trying to think of like what that it's, it's yeah. like, it's damp, but it's warm and it's, it's outside. Mm. And it only happens between that time when like the sun is setting and it's like completely pitch black and it's so recognizable on a golf course. I just, I yeah. love, that's why I like playing until dark almost all the time in the summer. Cause there's just yeah. like, you'll just take this moment and be like, mm-hmm. and the, yeah. and the course is quiet. Uh, it's the best. Yep. And that to me is like, there's two sides of it. One is like, you're working really hard and you're like building some golf clubs. And the other one is just like, I'm out by myself. I'm walking a golf course. I got you know nine clubs in my golf bag. And this is like the exact place where I want to be right now. Yes. Deep Zen. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, those two, those two hit. I've never smelled the steel shaft execution. Right. I, I need the guillotine. To. The guillotine. I need to. It's called French bread that's pizza, great. by the way. French, French bread, bread pizza. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of close okay. to the the, the Detroit like style. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a school lunch for sure. For sure. Um, do you, Ryan? Do you have any any favorite golf sounds? Yeah. Um, the, I love playing with persimmon golf clubs. The sound of a golf ball off of persimmon wood is just this crack. That is amazing. Mm. I love it. Um, mm, true. it's, it's, it's fun to like catch on camera when you are like, if I'm out and I'm hitting shots with it, like it's so distinctive and, and it's, it's loud, but it's muted. It's just like, it's to me, it's like the idea of golf. And when you're playing in like, again, parkland style golf course, I play an old golf course with lots of trees. And like you'll hit one and it just like it almost like echoes off the trees. And yeah, you get echoes mm. from the like the higher frequencies of like, you know, modern day drivers and stuff. But there's something about it. You're just like, man, that feels that to me is just golf. And uh, to kind of go along with that, the sound of when like it's dry and you're on a golf course that is like sandy or like a link style. And I, I've always experienced this. Both I think both times I played had had the chance to spend time down at, like Sweetens Cove 
when like you know like on links golf where the ball just like poof. like it just it's almost like a hollow thud that golf like when you hit mm. that golf ball or like hit a yeah. hit a wedge and off of off of firm turf it's so good those are the sounds of golf that i just love that is such a good sound yeah that is a great it sound. is a good sound i haven't played a links course in a minute so i've i've been like thirsty for that sound mm-hmm. i want i want to I want to go hit some tight lies ASAP. ASAP, we need that. Yeah. It's, it's like for sure. uh, there's no mush, like whether it be an iron right. or, no a, there's no or, a, no or a wedge. It's, not, it's just like a... It's all business. And even if you take like a bit yeah. of a divot because it's sand and it's like less dense, although it's like it feels harder and firmer, yeah. right? It's just like... Thoof. There's no mush. Yeah. There's no... Fuck. It's just... Imagine yeah. taking I want that. to play golf right yeah. now. Right? I, want, I just want to hear that sound. Imagine taking that sawed-off sixty-degree that you were messing with in your basement to you stick that in. That was the only thing that would actually create a divot in in those conditions. Yeah, Yeah, true. (laughs) I have a video when Uh, Tiger played at St Andrews, and there was a clip of him chipping on. I think it was eighteen, and uh, I stole it from the TV. I might have stolen it from YouTube. I might have ripped it off there and like had like the the eight-second clip. And he hit this wedge, and it was just. And he hit two of them back to back practicing and they spun like crazy hitting up on the 18th hole. But it was just that sound. I thought, wow, it's that to me is like everything I love about Lynx golf. And it made that was yeah. one of the reasons I was like, I got to get there and see this place and like actually experience this. Uh, but yeah. uh, that there's something about it that I just I think is so much representative of like what the way I the way I enjoy the game. Again, it can be enjoyed in so many different ways. That's what I like the best about it. Golf yeah. ASMR. For, seriously, so yeah. seriously. Um, I'm I'm actually really curious about this as a as a as a gear a gear guy, um, someone that is uh, extremely selective and and uh, and thoughtful about what, what you put into your golf bag. Uh, do you have any emotional support items that you that you have in your bag? So none of them are golf clubs, and let me let me make that very clear. Um, I there's I'm not emotionally attached to like any golf clubs that I have. I, I mean, I have things that were given as gifts that like were representative of something, which I, I appreciate. But um, the only two things that I, I have that I think are, and they're not like, they're not expensive or anything like that. But you know, the, you know, the divot tools that are all wire, they just have like the two little mm-hmm. prongs and the little circle. And then the other prong uh, I had, I, have, I probably have like six or seven of them kicking around But the one I have in my golf bag. I've had like when my wife and I started dating and we got it when we played golf one time and Wow. Um, which is, I mean, a long time ago now. And I've always had it. And I remember like one time on like, it was a, like a what's in the bag uh, from like a magazine. Yeah. I think it was Nick Watney and his, he had one of those. And like the prongs on that thing were like two little daggers. And I thought, I wonder how they ever get to like that thing. That, like back when I saw it, I was like, man, he must use that a lot. Well, I've had this thing now for like 15 years. And those tips are pretty sharp now because I use that one <laughs> all the time. And I still keep it. It's in my little like um, little accessory bag. Now, if I lost it, I got three more. And I'm not like again, it's not like this thing where I'm like so worried about it. But it's it's fun to be like I know that I've had this for a long time. It's just a piece of wire. I can replace it, but this is mine, and I like using it because like the coloring is worn off of the uh, probably aluminum anodization that they use. Um, so there's that. But the other thing that I, I've always used, and actually was, again, it was a gift from my my wife, um, is. Uh, Seamus, the the head cover and accessories and golf bag company, they did a series and they still have them. You can go buy them um, of like Scottish and Irish tartan. 
And mm, yeah. yeah, it was, it was a gift. So my, my grandfather uh, on uh, my mom's side grew up in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, and I know, like I knew the, the, uh, cause I have a map, we have a map in the house and it has like a, like the County has a specific tartan. So that was a gift from her. And there was like a driver and a ferry wood and a, like two, sorry, two ferry woods and a, and a driver cover. And as much as like, I like using like all kinds of stuff and like, yeah, OEM sent me all kinds of head covers. Like that's the head cover that I use. Um, just because I think like, um, like look how far you've come. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you think of like what, mm-hmm. see, it's not like a, mo- it's not like a big emotional thing, but like you think of like the, how you got to where you were. Right. And like where that thing could have like been and what it represents. Yeah. It's kind of like, man, this is really cool. So I, that's why I like having it, but it doesn't, I don't really think about it that way. But when I, like I describe it, I guess I think about it that way. Um, but I do, I do like having it. And again, if I lost it, I can get another one. It doesn't, like the actual thing itself doesn't represent uh, an emotion, but it's the idea of like what it actually represents to like me is why I like having mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Yeah, that, that like the communication with the past thing has come up a couple of times for us, but it seems like that's really strong with you. This kind of reflective nature that you have on where things came from, where people came from, what things were built for the intention of. And um, I love that. It's very romantic. It, and and it's clear that you have a lot of reverence for places and people and things that like have significance with you. I think that's really, that's really beautiful. I, th- I think maybe because like when I was like, I don't, I wasn't like a, like a, a dangerous person. That's not probably the word, way to describe it. But like, I always felt like uh, for a long time as like a kid, I was like a bit of a nihilist. It's like nothing matters. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I always think of like, what is it? Shit. The big Lebowski, like the nihilists who like come in and they like, they want money. And it's like this weird thing where it's Flea. like, you don't care about yeah. anything, but like you really want this money from these people. Like I thought you didn't care about anything. Um, yeah. But the, the idea <laughs> of like, and I think maybe it's just cause like, you know, I get older and like you get attached to things or you think about like, you know, the people that are around you aren't going to be around forever kind of thing. And, um, mm. you try and instill like with kids, like I have kids, two kids. And mm. to the point of like talking about failure, like I think my, like my oldest daughter, like wants, like she like doing monkey bars. Right. And it's like, look, I'm not going to like, not to be like the hard O parent. Like, yes, I'm going to help you get up there and do that stuff. But like, I'm going to show you that it's okay to fall because you're you're 12 inches off the ground. And once you eliminate that fear, the next time you're 18 <laughs> inches off the ground, you're not going to be scared. And the next time you're a little bit further off the ground, you're not going to be scared. And you, you're you trying to instill confidence in people through teaching them, right? And hmm. I never, I'm not going to say like I resented like golf coaches, Cause I, I just, I, cause I understand that people want support, but I, as a kid that like all never really went to like a golf coach, I just kind of like did it myself. I never really understood like why people like felt the necessity to like go and like do this thing where like, why don't you just figure it out on your, like on your own. But as I've gotten older, I realized like people turn to people for help in, in more ways than just one. And I think what that represents for me is like the idea of sharing knowledge and the idea of like helping others because at the end of the day, like you're working together with someone else to, to get to an end goal. And that's where I think that, that connection comes from, whether it be the past or whether it be the people that help you get there. Um, like I'm very like 
thankful for like the position that I'm in now, but I'm also like very aware. Although like, again, as a teenager, I probably wasn't so much in the same way, but like thankful for the, the, the opportunities that I had. And I actually, my daughter asked me the other day, what does it mean when like, uh, we were talking about the hundred hole hike and actually I was wearing my LPGA tour hoodie, like the ones that Michelle, we was like had, right. Yeah, and I was yeah, explaining yeah. to her like, cause it was dad, why, like, why do you have that? Like, and I said, well, it represents something that like the goal is to help other people like play the game of golf. Cause like we, we have access and we have privilege and we have, um, the, the ability to go do something when we just choose to do it. And not everyone has that ability. Not everyone has that access. Not everyone has that advantage. And I had to explain what an advantage was to her. She's six years old, um, to, to what that means to be advantaged or disadvantaged. And, I think that is why it is so important when we talk about like the stuff or teaching or being involved or like creating connection is because this idea of like what the game, the game of golf has been very restricted to people for a very, very long time and it still exists. Right. But it's breaking down a barrier. And for me, like equipment, I can tell people you can go to a garage sale and find all kinds of equipment and go out and just play and go to a driving range and have fun. And I think that's one of the great things about the last couple of years is that, it's really broken down a lot of those barriers and yes, they still exist everywhere. Like it's, it's not, someone didn't come by and like sprinkle a magic wand and be like, Oh, golf is accepting now. Cause that's BS. All right. <laughs> um, but it's the understanding that like you can create opportunity for other people. And so that connection for me, when it comes to like the object or what it represents is you can help other people get to a point where they feel successful. I feel very successful. I feel very privileged to do what I do. And I feel very lucky to do what I do. Uh, but I also know that it, I didn't do it by myself. And I know a lot of people need help mm. to get to those points as well in their lives. So why not use any opportunity you can to do that for somebody else? And whether that's through buying a sweatshirt or donating to something, um, I think that's where the connection to like, an, like objects or the past allows you to understand where you are in the present and then contribute to the betterment of the future for yourself or your family or your kids or your friends or just a random stranger that asks you like, what size grip should I use on my golf clubs? Because I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe that's overthinking it. But mm. I, I do think that there's, I, I feel like as I've gotten older, I understand my place in like where I exist within the world and it's always changing. But to be able to connect those dots and say, okay, well, we are here. Let's make the next thing better for not just myself, but other people and other people around me. Ryan, I loved that, man. That was, that was really, really fun. And I, you know, candidly, like, again, we, we don't, apart from Trotty, we don't speak to many people who are like golfy. Yeah. Like industry people. Industry, industry right. people. Right. I'm not an industry and person. You're making a big confusion here. <laughs> <laughs> I've just snuck in the back door and they've just let me continue you to live here. Yeah. Like, oh, let he's me tell here? you that. He's still, he's still, we're still paying him? Okay, that's fine. But my, I guess my point is I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy to know you now and, uh, and to have had this conversation with you because I feel like, you know, it obviously got into territories way beyond golf and way beyond equipment. And, um, it makes, yeah, it just makes me really appreciative, uh, for you to, to go there with us and go beyond the, the hosel and the, 
the lie angle. Um, it means a lot. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I appreciate what you guys do a lot. Like, um, again, I think <sighs> golf and like people are always looking for different ways to connect. And I think when we talk about what golf represents, like community is, is such a big thing. You guys have created a great, an absolutely great community of, of sharing and telling stories. And I think that's where, again, that's where golf to me is, is such a, a representative of the opportunity that you can to create connections with other people. And for me, it just happens to be in equipment, but it, it, I think along, long before that, I'm just a person that, that wants to, to help other people enjoy something else that they enjoy as well. Because if you, if you're investing your time in whatever it happens to be, in this case, it's golf, you should invest it and feel invested and feel like you're welcome in that space and, and have fun doing it as well. Period. That's it. That's it. That's the pod. Period. That's the pod. <laughs>